Dr. Givings opens the door and finds Mrs. Givings there. What is it? The baby? What is that sound? What were you doing? Electrical therapy, my dear. Very successful session. I wish to see it. You would not understand. Leave me my dry, boring science and I will give you the rest of the world. You said yourself that my electricity bored you. I insist on seeing your machine now. Are you going to force me to lock my laboratory? I am your wife. And happily you are my blooming young wife without a hint of neuroses and in no need of my inventions or experiments. Experiment on me. I can assure you that you would not like it. Experiment on me! It would be unseemly for a man of science to do experiments on his wife. I'd lose my credibility. Now, would you have the good grace to be... I'm going to the club. Mr. Edison's man is electrocuting dogs this evening. He's out to prove the deadliness of the alternating current over and above direct current. I think it's hogwash. In alternating current, the current flips back and forth and back and... You see how much this bores you? He locks the door of the operating theater and puts the key in his pocket. Yes, it is very boring. Goodbye. And don't kiss me goodbye, please. Very well. He leaves. She storms. The theater, the theater. Oh, uh, what? oh, are you, you breathing heavily into your microphone? Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, that it's symphony of sound, that symphony of sound is a chain smoking whore named CJ, <laughs> who, by the way, just spent the last five minutes eating a bunch of almonds in front of us, sharing with us that she, she knew that they were little amygdalas. Amygdalas. She, you're not supposed to eat the almonds. But they're covered in truffle salt. They're delicious. <sighs> Those are people who are the so cream soda. Past. Diet cream soda. What's the dry? Okay, so if the almonds are super depressed people, then what's the diet cream soda? <laughs> uh, the diet cream soda. We're just going to go right to semen. We're just cutting right there. No, wait, no, wait. Drink, drink your semen. Drink your I have semen. a very important Star Wars question. Oh, um, Is it true that the cantina music is actually called jizz? Yeah. <laughs> Space jazz. Space jazz. Jizz. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to that? confirm. It's well, no, I, I'd heard it yeah. before. I'd heard that before, but I didn't know if that was like dumb teenage boy joke. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's space ska. It's jizz. Yeah. <laughs> okay, space so it's ska. actually <laughs> space ska, aka How dare jizz. you? Space ska would not be jizz. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for tuning uh, in, everybody. Welcome uh, to Theater <laughs> Theater, the theater podcast for theater people. God damn it. Made by three theater nerds from the LA theater scene. I'm Jay Bailey Bridgham. I am widely hated CJ Merriman. Mm -hmm. And I'm Scott Leggett. <laughs> I'm the infamous, <laughs> the infamous CJ and the beloved Scott Leggett. And each week, the three of us get together and we discuss, debate, and disseminate the evolutions of the great playwrights 
This is our mini-series, part two of Dead Man's Podcast, covering the works of the incredible Sarah Rule. Yeah, girl. And uh, we left off last week right in the middle of our discussion of Eurydice, or Eurydice, if you're being... <laughs> um, Eurydice. Or Eurydice, yeah. Okay, <laughs> is the Italian pronunciation. Um, no, but it's we've, we've done the breakdown. Go back and listen to part one if you want to hear more about kind of our initial thoughts on this. But... There are two or three really big things that I think we need to tackle right now. So I'm just going to go ahead and throw them out there. The Please. first one I want to talk about, I want to hear y'all's feelings on, uh, you know, discuss, debate, and disseminate. Yeah. The stones, the three stones, the sort of Greek chorus of this show. Go ahead. I loved the convention. I love the yeah. idea that you're going to make a chorus and make them still and and not be able to move theoretically and it's a great notion it's a great little twist i love it i loved it sure i we were talking about like greek theater in general and and whether we enjoy it or not or if we've seen good productions and i think that would be even harder than like finding good shakespeare you know um but the greek chorus is a theatrical device that i always love seeing reinvented in contemporary theater and i was stoked for this and i mean i just saw myself as the loud stone the whole time really really <laughs> really guys uh, <laughs> so no i mean what even if it's not like obviously this is a greek story but like you see it in in music in everything so i'm all anytime i'm like ooh, this is a greek chorus so i'm always down for there's actually different... this great um like playwriting resource it's sort of like workshops that playwrights um put up for young writers and things like that and um there's different classes you can take and things it's it, very interesting i'll look that up and put it in the show notes i forget what it's called but um in one of those workshops sarah rule was asked to give like a um a, a playwriting exercise each playwright that comes in gives like an exercise that they say is like their ultimate kind of exercise and her suggestion was as an exercise any play you're writing right now whether you end up keeping it or not go add a greek chorus <laughs> and her her reasoning was it helps you put onto paper exactly what you're trying to say show to the audience and do and even if you don't leave them there they can help you with expository things, right? Or mm -hmm. exposition, at least. Um, and so uh, that, it, yeah, I like the convention. I think it works. They also add a lot of levity to an otherwise pretty poetic play. Absolutely. Um, and I kind of love this idea that they're in, like, they're, because she's in a bunch of different places throughout this thing, and they're always there. Mm -hmm. So they kind of become this companion in a way. Not really. They're not, like, rooting her on. They're, they're sort of um, enforcing rules upon her the whole time. But... I kind of in in the movie version of this in my head, they are these stones that like whenever she walks into a new room, they like grow out of a new place and they're there. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And like and the, like almost like Return to Oz or something. I feel like is why I'm, I don't know what in Return to Oz I'm envisioning, but it's like that. <laughs> I love it. Uh, can I just say something? I mean, this uh, it's a big uh, digression, but uh, sure. you said in the movie version in your head. Mm -hmm. um, that's actually a thing that I use in therapy constantly where my boss where my boss where my therapist is like, well, what do you, Whoa. what would you like to happen? And I'm like, in the movie of my life, it's the way yeah. I always describe things. So mm -hmm. just yeah. And I think, well, I think <laughs> our, our, you know, the past few generations see things that way. Right. Uh -huh. I think there is that kind of like, or even like the soundtrack to my life. Right. Like what, mm -hmm. you, because especially now with nostalgia culture and everything, like we do this kind of thing where, 
I, I, I see the blueprint that I want and I, it's a screenplay, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it, I'm like, no, I just, I, I want to live in this blueprint and follow this path. And obviously that's not how life works. Obviously our blueprints are constantly ripped apart and, and, and shredded, but I think you're right. I think that's kind of how, or at least how I see a lot of my life. Uh, and even when I look back, I kind of see them in home video form. Yeah. Right. My memories yeah. are all kind of like, oh yeah. And then I'm sure this song was playing it. It wasn't, but um, <laughs> when I had my first kiss, uh, you know, uh, this beautiful romantic ballad by Kenny G was playing, you know, but Oh, my parents love loved Kenny G. It's always playing in my dad's pickup truck. It's an interesting uh, it's an interesting digression because we're a society for, for at least 70 years now has had, you know, images in our head and projected. And yeah. so whenever you look at something before that, I think that's why modern audiences often have I th also think presentism is is a horrible horrible curse that we put on sure. past works yeah. um but sure. that especially is that imagine re reading dickens dickens had no idea what a movie was or a moving picture was or how an image would be captured like that right. and how it's affected our thing our, our thinking because we're expecting edits we're expecting yeah. cuts mm -hmm. and i right. think that mm -hmm. there i think that humanity before that period of time never understood how to think like that. I think we actually think different than we did 150 and years ago. To relate yeah. to Eurydice, she in a weird way is kind of cinematizing, that's not a word, but um, that the myth that we already know because she edits. We don't see how Orpheus gets to hell. He, no, he just figures this, it out. He just shows yeah, he's up like, the oh, there's a straw and there's like a thing. And we're like, what? Like, it doesn't make sense. And she's just like, it's a Greek myth, get over it. Yeah. You know, and I'm sort of like, oh, okay. Which is another reason she probably chose to use the Greek myth as a vehicle is that it's already set up for us. We already know that there is a, a place in, in Greek mythology where you can pass as a living being into this other realm and see people who are quote unquote not living but still existing in a life. Right. right? And that's some so it's a it's sort of it's a mythology she doesn't have it's a mythos she doesn't have to set up for us, right? We already get mm -hmm. it. Um, you know, we don't you don't have to have read the comic book, right? I want all of us to think of what is your favorite Greek chorus with big quotes in all of theater that you've ever seen? Murder don't in the Cathedral. Okay. Murder in the Cathedral uh, is the um Thomas Beckett, you know, the the big uh, story of his murder, um, St. Beckett or what? I don't know what the fuck his name is. But there's uh -huh. there's a Greek chorus of like 20 people. Uh, and they're just townspeople anyway. or? Yeah. And this show okay. is to be done in a cathedral. So okay. one time I saw it, it was in this like beautiful church. <gasps> and there's like these 20, I think they were, just, it was all women actually dressed as like you know, kind of peasants or whatever they may be, or churchgoers, but they were, they would just run around and every once in a while they would all scream at once, like one thing. And I was like, oh, it was <laughs> That's phenomenal. And they would, because it was in a cathedral, they would come out of nowhere sometimes. Like they would uh -huh. just be in the aisle and you'd be like, oh fuck, you know, um, murder <laughs> in the cathedral. That's my answer. Scott, you don't have to answer now. I just thought it was kind of a fun question. What, what my favorite use of a, a Greek chorus? Yeah. And it doesn't have to be Greek. I mean, you know, whatever is, well, I don't mean to be Mine's controversial, but the first thing that comes to mind and one that I always fucking love is uh, in Mighty Aphrodite because he uses mm. it as both 
a contemporary thing and is a classical thing. So the chorus is a chorus that's leading you through a story and then the chorus will show up on a street corner in full Grecian outfits on a street corner in New York City and then they'll break away and challenge characters that are within the story. So it becomes yeah. meta and it kind of inverts on itself. I don't mean mm-hmm. to give shout outs to Woody Allen. I know that's, <laughs> but but it's one that's always stayed Damn. with me because I just, it, it functions in on three different levels and I just thought it was so fucking clever. So I've always, I always love that. Yeah. Sure. Also, everyone go watch uh, Alan versus Pharaoh on HBO and that's all we're going to say about it. Um, <laughs> uh, can I say my favorite Greek chorus? Yeah, Please. yeah. It's the pick a little ladies from Music Man. Oh yeah, that's oh, right. right. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. yeah mu- you know, I mean, literally the ensemble or the chorus um, in a lot of musicals tends to fulfill that role, right? Mm-hmm. Th- these stones, though, this is almost—it's kind of a different thing because they're interacting with the character, obviously, which has been done. That's not something that's not done, but they're also um, they are enforcing rules upon her. Mm-hmm. And that's not something that I feel like a Greek chorus often does. Has that, that's not a role they tend to play. Mm. So it's kind of interesting. In that, that in that way, they reminded me of the harpies in his Dark Materials. Sure. Um, Bailey, did you read those books, Bailey? I didn't, but I'm, I've watched the series. Oh, are harpies in it already? Anyway, no. no, just this whole thing of like, yeah. I, I mean, I think I, I agree with you, Bailey. Usually it's just like townspeople or ex, it's like exposition or something like that. But I think maybe I like the idea of them getting a little bit more responsibility of like, no, you can't do that. Yeah, I don't no, know. I it like gives, it. Yeah, it gives them more agency, I guess. Yeah. I, I, but yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. Totally. Um. So what about the ending? I think that's definitely worth talking about because this is sort of the the whole point right is what what makes this different from um the other tellings of this myth which um in this one i would argue that it is the agency is given to eurydice but she makes the bad choice at the end it's in her hands and it's her fault the ending happens that's how it reads to me yeah i've thought about this a lot because i wasn't quite sure what to take away the the myth was that it was always on him and unless that we take it to the next step which is that what was she going to say she calls him and that makes him turn around and then everything changes so she never gets to finish her sentence so to speak right I think that that sentence was, I love you, baby, but you've got your thing and your thing is bigger than me and I need to be bigger than mm. that. That's how I have, where I've kind of settled on it right now. That, okay. That, that, that her agency is that she's about to, to break his heart in a way. I can hear that. It could also just be a lady, lady or the tiger moment too. I mean, they kind of. I mean, it sucks because everyone kind of loses in the end yeah. because yeah. she's dipped in the river of sticks and she forgets her dad. Which they don't call. They never call it sticks. No, and I just, just yeah, I just assumed an interesting yeah. side of that. Well, but I just assumed too. But in 
in Greek mythology, which this is goes back to what I was saying in the first episode, is that sometimes I felt like you're taking too much liberty for something if you're going to use it as a vehicle because, like, the Styx thing, it's like, that's how you get to the underworld. You're taken on the river Styx, mm-hmm. and instead it's this water-ridden, this rain-ridden um, elevator, which is fine, but they never, they don't, like, reference it as Styx. But then there is this river flowing through, but it has this other power to it. That's yeah. and it's, so it's interesting. It's a cool device. I just I don't uh, I don't. Is there a purpose? Is there a meaning? Or am I just like? Is it just? I a, didn't get it either. I didn't yeah. get it either. I just think it's the passage of time too. The forgetfulness about like you know, you get to a point in your life where you get to this big relationship and you've forgotten these past relationships and the values you've learned from it. And then it's, it's just, I don't know. It's the flip around. She gets, she gets this opportunity to go back and remember this relationship she had with her dad. Absolutely. Thematically. I agree. Like, you know, the rebirth of that relationship, this thing that they never got to do, like, we don't know when he died. It never really says, right. Right. But she didn't have this true relationship. And then she basically becomes an infant again when she goes Mm -hmm. there because of the forgetfulness and he has to bring her back right so it's it's beautiful i love that but i think just like as a choice right to not call it sticks and not like just it just the, i don't know i just don't well i don't know if well I'm... calling it sticks is just making me think of come sail away now follow me on instagram parents Peered above my head. Sorry, I'm sorry. I love sticks so much. Um, um no, I hear what you're saying, Bailey. Domo Robot Domo. Domo. Okay. Domo. I was gonna say uh well, in the original myth, depending on which version you read, he gets what happens to Orpheus? He gets he gets eaten by the three whatchamacallits after he turns and looks. The fates? Or, yeah. Oh, Cerebrus. You yeah. mean throwing at a dog. Well, but there's like, it, there's four different, depending there's on which version, there are yeah. different things happen to him. But we don't really know what happens to him other than he goes on afterwards, right? I don't recall in this, in Rules Eurydice. In your in Rules Eurydice, it almost feels like just an emotional cathartic moment more than it is. It's not explained. Like we don't mm. really know what happens to them. There isn't even really a setup of like if you do this, this is exactly what happens to you. Right. right? Mm-hmm. So obviously she's 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 making a bigger statement by feeling like she doesn't need to fill us in completely. And I'm all for that, right? right. Like fill it in yourself kind of thing or let the director kind of guide you in a direction. Um, when I saw it, they, he was like, he was walking away into a light and his light like went off and then he just walked off stage. Ooh, that's kind of fun. Yeah. And then she, you know, and she was left alone, but I don't know that I don't, I don't know that this ending is as poignant um especially in script as it is on stage. And I don't think it's as poignant um, as some of the other tellings of this story are for me Agreed. personally, but I also, yeah. but I, I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting to give her the moment of saying something there, uh-huh. you know? Um, and it doesn't feel like the, the Aladdin live action remake where they gave Jasmine a song where she's literally talking about how she doesn't talk enough. Yeah. I haven't watched that yet. I feel too bad for Will Smith. 
Oh, he's the best part of it. So is don't feel bad for well, him. I just felt like people closest. were so mean about him yeah, when all the first images started coming out. Everyone's mean about everything. Everyone's mean it's about crap. everything. But it wasn't good. It's not a good I like movie. Will Smith. Um, <laughs> I do too. I love Will Smith all day, every day. Um, but uh, yeah, so Eurydice. So is there anything else you guys want to say about it? Because I, I did want to say something, and that is yeah. that there's this thing, and it's not just in Eurydice, and you can see her working on it um as a playwright the the idea that all relationships are built on words and when those words get taken away then the character has to struggle and Eurydice has to struggle to put together those memories and it becomes fragile in a really beautiful way and yeah. i don't think that we're you know it's a poem it's lyrical and I, I don't think that we're intended to necessarily get everything. I don't think that they're um, it's funny in the the dialogue I was reading between Vogel and and Rule, they were talking about the idea of teaching theater and teaching poetry and teaching art. And why why do people hate it? And it's because th there's this tendency to try and teach art that that thus ha that has a solution to it. I yeah. think about like AP English class. There were right answers to talking about novels and i'm like there there really isn't because it's all right. subjective and when you get into a place where she is with such a command of language and and dictionary skills and the tharsis, the tharsis skills that she um i just think ultimately in for this for me it became muddled and i think that i'll keep you know We'll keep it. We'll have this conversation in 10 years. I guarantee you we'll go see a production of it and go, what the fuck was what was supposed to that ending supposed to be all about? I don't know. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was I, just muddled. I, I didn't hate it. I, I love so much of the description and so much of her. I walked away yeah. from this podcast. I mean, from this uh, reading this past few weeks being like and this isn't a negative thing. Um, it sounds like it, but she feels sort of like a more populist version of a lot of the playwrights I really love, like Sarah Kane, right? Mm. There's, there's, there's a, she's doing things, um, she's giving a playground to directors and to actors, uh, just like Kane was with the way that she's being poetic with the way that she's not always telling you everything or over telling you things or whatever it may be. And I like that, but I think the reason I'm not as sold as I am maybe with Kane or with Vogel is there is a more, and I'm just a hipster. So this is why I'm saying this. Um, there is a more populist, sort of feel to these even though they're a little heady and muddled and you know like there is a way to go see Eurydice as somebody who is just like a, a Greek myth nut and walk out like that was the best play ever right like I think there is a way for that to happen I don't know that like people who do and see a lot of theater would get that from a seeing a production of this as much mm. personally mm. yeah but I don't, yeah. Yeah. I don't know I'd say I say exactly that Okay. Um, Go ahead, Siege. I, I appreciate a different telling of a story that I have known and loved for a long time in the lens of a woman trying to figure out where she stands in her relationships and where she is as an individual in that. 
And also trying to thadge that with the relationship she's had in the past. Yeah. And if, does it connect? Does it mean nothing? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, and I think, I think I've seen and read other plays that tackle similar themes. Um, and does this rank up with them? I don't know. I think I have to do some more. I think I need to see it again. I think I need to see it with a better production crew. I think it needs to be done right for me to really get it. And I think that's how a lot of her plays are. And that's how all theater is. Let's be straight up. That's how Absolutely. We, we say that every time. Um, But let's go ahead into the next discussion. Because this is the last one and it's an exciting one. Um, This is In the Next Room, a.k.a the vibrator play cj tell us what it's about cj's breakdown set in the 1880s at the dawn of the age of electricity and based on the bizarre historical fact that doctors used vibrators to treat hysterical women and some men the play centers on a doctor and his wife and how his new therapy affects their entire household Mm mm-hmm uh, like I said, I saw a production of this uh, at a. How was it? <laughs> no, it was good. It was interesting. Like it's very cool. So you're, you know, you walk in, you see two rooms. That's the mm-hmm. set, right? It's just two rooms, and there's a wall in between them with a door, and one has a bed and is like kind of laboratory esque, and one is like a living room. Okay, mm-hmm. and this was a very low budget. Okay, so it wasn't, uh, and it was in a basement of a church. So they didn't spend a lot of money on that side of it. The wall, like you, there was bare wood on in the uh, of the wall. Like the yeah. wall looked like you know it, it, they they weren't trying too hard because I think they probably had to take it down uh, over weekends or or before Sunday morning <laughs> <laughs> before church. <laughs> yeah, so because I'm sure they had like I still know, love that a church was allowing this. It's well, great. Oh, well, I've seen some crazy things in churches in the Midwest. <laughs> Because churches need money and they would rent the space and they didn't know what was going on down there most of the time. I've seen, oh. I've seen some weird shit down in there. You know. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. I love it. I saw Cabaret in a <gasps> church one time. Oh. They, I mean, they went full out. Like, it was sexy. It was steamy. Oh, okay. my God. Um, now, being in a church must have made it better. I'm having hot. a quiet paroxysm thinking about it. I could feel the hellfire it. on my feet. It was great. <laughs> um, no, it was beautiful. Um, but... Uh, 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 it was it was fine. I just remember being like really because I didn't know anything about it going in. Mm-hmm. It was one that I hadn't read before. I remember being really surprised by it and being like, uh-huh. "Oh wow, this plays great!" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I just didn't, you know, they were fine. Um, and costumes were real shit. Sorry to whoever did those. Co- I won't say the theater or anything like that, but yeah. it was. They all were dressed like Joseph and Mary and. <laughs> No, it, it was less that. It was more that they, you could tell they had pulled from their own their own wardrobes. Right, and Which right. is fine. Yo, I'm all for that in theater. Don't get me wrong. I, poor Man's Theater is how I have done almost all of my theater. Yeah, Don't yeah, yeah no, absolutely. But sometimes. But 1880s. Yeah, when it's period. Yeah. Going, period. Yeah. I Well, the thing is, I didn't know. I'd heard of this play before. I had never read it, but I knew the history behind it. So, like, yeah. I was kind of, I think, I think there's probably plenty of people that gone and ha- have gone and seen this show and had no idea that this is actually right. how medical. It's a nice little history lesson. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> I will say it reminds me of, I brought this up in the first episode, where mel- melancholia is something that 
people get diagnosed with a lot it doesn't mean anything it's a made-up mm-hmm. disease it, there's no cure people are still it. getting diagnosed with melancholia i thought it was like an old-timey thing rachel bircham has been diagnosed before with melancholia wow i just didn't you know that, that? Uh, yeah that seems crazy it doesn't make any sense it's has a- she been bled for it for it no but they they use the vibrator no um (laughs) no but i i'm just kidding but they i think it is sort of that like um it's the same thing hysteria this hysterical woman right oh she's crazy (laughs) is to relieve the juices inside of her her belly you know yes relieve my juices right it's a it's it's almost like they think it's like a lobotomy or something right they're like oh it's the same kind of deal and it's like no your wives these women are horny and you're not a good lover that's the answer. <laughs> They're Which, trying to get their kicks. This also reminds me when we did Oklahoma way, way back with uh, movies that are musicals. Uh, Scott and I were talking about Oklahoma. Oklahoma, where the white people steal all the land. Yeah, yes, but we said the um, sequel to Oklahoma would be Ado Annie's lobotomy because she was too boy crazy. <laughs> Woof. Or they just strap her to a table and pull out a vibrator, yeah. No, man, I've just been reading and learning too much about Rosemary Kennedy lately, too, so. Weird shit, y'all. Anyway, was she, was paroxysms. Was treated for, hys- for hysteria? They lobotomized the shit out oh, of her. Oh, shit, really? Yeah, and a, like, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's, it's horrible. Right. She just liked boys too much, so they gave her a lobotomy, and then wow. she disappeared. Oh, my uh, God. Yeah, it's crazy. Anyway. One flew over the cuckoo's nest. Um, <laughs> am I right? So there's, you know, it starts out, this man, the scientist man in his home brings a woman into his laboratory to do this test on her, and his wife overhears it and is interested and intrigued, because obviously this woman is having paroxysms, is what they're called, <laughs> which a uh, euphemistic way of saying a... Uh, Honk an orgasm. I felt the other part of this play too was um was also the women. It's like that. Uh, is it Pleasant Phil? Was that the movie where she yes. has an orgasm and then all of a sudden yes. she's wearing colored lipstick? Yes. Um, that's I love that it's, movie. it's it's I the women discovering like. I, I think about that monologue about the wife ta- talking about her husband comes in every night and tells her to roll over and shut her eyes and that it hurts and then it's over. Mm-hmm. So just this whole discovery of like, wait, this could be fun for me too. So I loved, I just, I, I loved this play. It was my favorite. I'm just going to say it was my favorite. Yeah. This one's super fun. It's also funny yeah, without trying yes. super hard. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very excited about this. Play. So tell me uh, what else y'all think about this play. We haven't said a whole lot. Let's, let's get into it. Uh, I love it. I think it's her most o- overtly uh, feminist play. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think there's feminist themes in the other ones, but I think this is more directly in line with that. She's giving a voice to a lot of different people at at an intersection. The play takes place at an intersection of a lot of different things. You have science or pseudoscience and medicine, old school medicine. I mean, we're talking about the 1880s. There's only so much knowledge that people have at that point. Right. the intersection of art, the intersection of children and family, the intersection of love and death that we deal with. Right. Um, the the uh, what's the character's name? The 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 wet nurse. Um, Elizabeth. Oh, Elizabeth. No. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, it's not Anna. Anna's the nurse, Elizabeth. Right, right, yes. right. Yes. Um, and so, um, what struck me the most about reading this play, and it's my favorite too. Like I cranked through this fucker, and then went yeah. back and just like went through it again, like in the same mm. sitting. I just loved it because I loved all the characters, even the ones that are flawed. Like the like I, I love Mister. Uh, not Mr. Darcy. What's his name? Daldry. Uh, Daldry. Yeah. Like even he's just kind of like this great prick of his time. Yeah. Um, you know, but not with, not, not with the sort of nobody sort of has a menace to them. Nobody's no. like out with evil intentions. They're just doing the men mostly or doing dumb fucking things. Um, yeah. Then you have Leo, you have the artist who's coming in and, and it's, <laughs> it brings in this, this romance or this, you know, confusion about what should be romance or romantic and obsessive love. And I just, it just hit me on all kinds. Like she put everything, lined everything up and knocked the pins down with yeah. these great strokes. And, and I think the ending is sweet and hopeful mm-hmm. and lovely. And um, I love the objectification uh, of the doctor at the end when, with her looking at his body and she gives the instruction, the stage direction that she's never seen him naked before. And right. I think, and it's such a great thing for an actress to play. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just like lines, just all the little things, the playing on the piano, the fingering on the piano. And she describes it as fingering on the piano. Right. Um, and how that comes around. And, um, yeah, I love the energy. It was it 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 had a farcical feel. Is that what we're thinking about? Like a French yeah. farce almost thing. But what yeah. she does, I think, over and over again, is that she changes these tones and these styles and these structures. Um, because at the end, it becomes heavy. It's a it's a weird, real hard. It's gear got a change. big fat heart at the yeah. end, and, for sure. And and yeah. and it's yeah, all yeah. emoting like she's emoting the whole time Miss, mrs givings uh it's Catherine, right Catherine yep. givings yep yep um the first line that struck me and it's pretty early on was her line i don't know at all what kind of person i am mm-hmm. and that's yeah. early in the play and i was like I, I read it over and over again. I had the same reaction with some of those August Wilson moments where it's just like, I'm just going to read this line because it's so simple and perfect and explains exactly, it tells the audience yeah. exactly what's going on. And I will say, you know, we, if we're talking about evolutions of playwrights, I, I think this is a definite growth from Eurydice, right? Yes, oh, absolutely. absolutely. A lot of playwrights we've noticed, I mean, it just when we start ranking stuff is we tend to like their earlier stuff, the thing that like kind of got them big, that ends up being the ones that we really like love because it, you know, for whatever reason. Um, and then they don't, it's not that they like go down in quality as much as they don't necessarily, they don't always find their voice or they don't, you know, whatever it may be, but their earlier stuff is what we tend to think of first, right? right. And then Sam Shepard, especially. With her, I I did notice, and I've read a lot of her other plays, she gets better. She learns. Melancholy play feels a little juvenile, and not in a bad way. Right. But it does feel like a first go at it. It's a young, it's a young artist of incredible yeah. talent who's trying to try stuff out. Like, she's yes. trying stuff out, and you can feel her trying stuff out. Yes. I want to read more of her adaptations. Yeah. I do want to read more of her adaptations. She does some check-off shorts. She does, mm-hmm. like, things like that that I'd love the to or, read. The Orlando um, that I saw. 
which is Orlando, great. the Virginia Woolf book, right? And she, you know, she, she Eurydice has a lot more heart, but this one feels a little bit more into the almost what you were talking about, CJ, like the the macro that Churchill kind of is. She's trying to say something bigger mm-hmm. on a bigger scale about a societal thing that we aren't really talking about that even though it's about a time in history is still has waves that are, you know, happening throughout today. Right. So it's a timeless thing. It works. It has that kind of, I, I, I absolutely love this play. Um, go ahead. Cause I want to talk about the Tonys that this was nominated for. Oh, cool. Well, something I was going to say, uh, that it's, it's a word that I feel like has come into knowledge in the last couple of years, but it's something that I feel like she handles really well in a lot of her plays. And this was a big one was gaslighting. Mm. Um, and yeah. I really, I mean, again, it's probably another reason why I, why I really connected to her stuff. Um, I, my, my favorite line personally from this show was, it is very rare, a case of hysteria in a man, but of course we do see it. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. come on, I just participated in half of this last year's football season and I have never seen hysteria in a woman like that. Sure, and in fandoms in general, it's like I mean, it's a <laughs> Scott's mad. I'm not talking. No, about- I'm not mad. No, I'm no, just like, like what? It. But <laughs> no, but in general, I've talked about this on the podcast. I, you know, fandoms have be are insanely toxic, and in, in, in general, and there's there's a there's a side to, um, there's a hysterical side to the passion that can get bad. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, well, I- and I guess I'm sorry. Let me just finish this. That I guess the flip to I'm that get shot is. For a second. <laughs> Um, the flip to that for me is, and I guess it's why I react so strongly to the idea of gaslighting and talking about it is the fact that I grew up being gaslit by all of the men in my life being told that women are crazy. They take a long time in the bathroom. They're expensive. And I believed that about women until I was older. So I was always like, well, I'm not going to take a long time to get ready and I'm going to make my own money because I'm not going to be expensive like other women. You know what I mean? So I think that's probably why I'm reacting so strongly to the gaslighting thing. Yeah, that's legit. I mean, I think gaslighting is a, is a huge part of our collective trauma. We haven't really taken in yet with the misogyny and the, the patriarchy in general and oh God, one day yeah. we'll take care of it but cj everything you're saying is bullshit and you're wrong <laughs> <laughs> you are topical. objectively incorrect about your opinion <laughs> empirically wrong about everything you're um no i'm kidding i'm totally kidding but i do want to talk about the tonys because you know me yeah. i like the awards i like the tonys this is a really cool year okay so this comes out in 2010 it, it, the tonys are uh, for 2010 and uh, this year is the same year of Denzel Washington's Fences. Uh huh. Wow. This is the same year as the revival of Lacage with Kelsey Grammer. <gasps> Fun. Oh, wow. This is the same year as Memphis, American Idiot, um, uh, Red, John Logan's. Oh, yeah. Alpha wins uh, Best Play. In the next room, or the vibrator, vibrator play, was nominated for best play. The oh, other cool. uh, things that were up were Time Stand Still, Donald Margulies, fantastic um, play, and Next Fall, which I've never even heard of, by Jeffrey Nufts. I've never uh, heard of it. Um, wow. Was this, okay. was this the one that was nominated for a, uh, a Pulitzer? Which which of her plays was nominated for the Pulitzer? Maybe? Question? She didn't She didn't win. She was, she was nominated, nominated but did not win, yes. 
Yeah, and yeah, I think we should do moments. some mini. We should do some bonus series where we like pick a year of Tony's plays and we read all of them, and then oh, we, that'd be fun. That would be fun. Sorry, that just would be really that. fun. No, but so she she also gets. Uh, they also get a nomination for best performance of an actress in a play, uh, Maria Dizia in the next room as Mrs. Daldry. Right. Mm. But the winner that year, <laughs> weirdly was Scarlett Johansson for A View from the Bridge. Oh, that's right. Which is like, yeah. That was okay. that, that was a celebrity handout. She played the niece. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Interesting. And I and Eddie Redmayne won that year too for Red, which is interesting. Uh, um yeah. And then uh, I agree. And thank then you, CJ. Uh, thank you for having the courage to say it. The courage is like, I don't know could. how they can give you an award for murders. You yeah. can't understand <laughs> you with all of your fucking cool character shit. And then we also have best costume design of a play which they get nominated for but they lose to the royal family which I heard was just like fucking next level but they were also nominated against fences and lend me a tenor ken ludwig's uh lend me a tenor oh, wait is the, that is that ken ludwig yeah ken ludwig the yeah. royal family what why is that pinging weird in my head was who wrote that i feel like i heard about i sorry i heard it was like a great spectacle not necessarily a great play okay Pretty yeah thing. it's george kaufman it's s george s kaufman okay um, maybe that's why oh, and edna ferber sorry i didn't realize it was by it might people. be that i st louis rep might have done i feel like i just have seen it a bunch lately or something somebody must have somebody big must have done it recently well plus just, with the crown and everything like the royal family things royal family. Crown. <laughs> yeah this was a big um uh, uh, revival of it because like Noel Coward had directed it on the West End. Right. Okay. Okay. Cool. With cool. Once cool. Olivier. Olivier. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, so I love that kind of stuff. It's just interesting. It's a cool year. 2010's a great yeah, year for theater. Yeah. Fuck um, yes. I'd love to get into that sometime. We'll do a Tonys episode sometime. And That'd maybe be fun. When we have real Tonys, we should do a bonus episode anyway. That'd be yeah. Fun. Oh yeah, oh, absolutely. absolutely. Um, obviously, we won't have seen any of the plays, but we could maybe. Um, Maybe, maybe we can get out there. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, anything else? I just had an overarching thing to say about this play, and sure. I, I, I loved every single character from the from this. I want to do a one woman show of this where I play everybody. Um, but I, I loved how it was this snatch out of time from history, and it still represented so many different women. A young woman that just had a baby that wouldn't take to her nursing. Um, 1880s, an African-American woman trying to make a, you know, trying to go through her life and dealing with recently losing a child, um, you know, an older woman that her husband is constantly telling her. I mean, I just felt that they were women in, in completely different stages of life and it honored, I don't know. I just, I, I loved that about it. Oh yeah. I mean, it's surprise when you rate well-rounded, interesting female characters, they become they are compelling yeah um, we should just do it more and from <laughs> and from a time period where again if you wrote if you write a book from this time or a play from this time the women wouldn't be this rich or or you wouldn't really care about what they were going through they were just wives or mothers and i just yeah. i loved that that it was this chunk of time and then everyone was very every the men too were very interesting and layered and complex yeah, yeah. there was a christopher durang elements to some of the humor i thought absolutely. that too i Did you absolutely think that? thought that Here's i was gonna bring that up and then i went nobody else will feel that way no right on oh cool that's great so absolutely absolutely and specifically it was the line it was mrs giving's uh 
Oh, she sounds perfect. We desperately want someone very moral whose child is recently dead. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very Marriage of Bet and Boo. It's, yes. a little, yeah. it's a little um, Vanya Sonia. Yeah. Yeah. A good ear, and, gents. Good ear. Yeah, yeah. here, here. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, that makes me feel smart. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't get, I didn't think of that, but I'm like, yes, totally. It's well, I, just honestly, because it, as we started this, I almost said, I almost said, this is her Durang play, and then I went, oh, that <laughs> won't go over. They won't get what I'm saying. Oh no, I absolutely, totally I love get it, it because it. And again, it's that it's that awesome. I, you know how I love tonal shifts when you, when yeah. you can do a hard turn uh, and make it work and and skid on the edge as as you're going around the curve i love it and uh i think that that's what struck me was how funny it was just and then just imagining it like a trying to imagine it trying to direct it or be a part of it yeah uh just the idea of sort of the deadpan sticking the vibrator (laughs) under the sheet and just sort of holding it there it's like well it's been two minutes maybe we should do it manually like it just (laughs) i think it's it just is is funny and that uh, and talking it's, about female orgasms, let's talk mm-hmm. about that. I mean, because it's not talked about. And the fact that you can do an entire play sort of wrapped around it and the all of the levels of intimacy that are involved uh, in talking about it is just great. It's just great. The, the It's been two minutes. It's like, have you gone yet? Did you go yet? Did you go yet? Did you go yet? Because I've definitely had that before. I think the other thing I loved, I mean, I was crying at the end of this play, like in a lovely sentimental way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I think I, I love the full circle of this is this discovery for the women and the men, the the paroxysms that women can have them, that sex can feel good and sex can be fun. But also when it all comes down to it, all Catherine, she wants the sex and the orgasms and stuff, but she really just wants to connect with her husband. Right. And have an emotional, affectionate connection, yeah. which was, you know, not characteristic of that time necessarily. Mm-hmm. That's, anyway. what I, that's what I was about to say is, you know, we we uh, we talk I was in a conversation with a, a man the other day who's who's trying who's trying to keep his eyes open and trying to go down the right path. But we were talking about feminism and and I, I said, you know, feminism really is for everyone. It is to take the pressure off of all gender norms and what the way that we pressure each other uh as in in, as different genders and And that's the that's the argument for the pronoun discussion as well is right let's take that away from people like why can't we all just be it's human yeah uh, yeah just be human absolutely and i thought that this was this play is a perfect example of that that the social norms that are, are are placed on the men well, whereas not nearly not as restrictive, obviously, uh, are just as powerful. Yeah. I have to go to the club. I, I can't talk to you about my problem. I'm going to lock the door and I'm going to go to the club because that's what gentlemen do. Yeah. And, it's what makes uh, me feel comfortable, too. Like, I'm uncomfortable with this other shit. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. Mm-hmm. And, and staying in comfort zones. And I think that's the... there's. A, I think there's a lovely moment that happens with Leo when he comes back and he's been rejected uh, by Elizabeth and, mm-hmm. and he's, and he's like, okay. And he, and he, the way he handles it is a very modern solution to, I got rejected. I'm not going to get, I'm bummed out about it. I'm going to go to France. 
Like, I'm, you know what I mean? But it's, it's the, that he's not going to take out anger, that it's not a pointed thing. It's not him being, you know, mistreated by a woman or whatever. Right. You know, right. However you want to describe it. He accepts the rejection, you know, he's bummed out about it and he may not have handled it well, but, um, and then just, the, the ending and the revelation of the doctor, I, I think I feel jealousy, you know, and yeah. I, I, I feel a stirring in my chest. And, and, and as and a female at that point, I was like, yes. Yeah. It's like yeah. The, the awakening, all those emotions that men have to, uh, at that <laughs> time, especially have to, you know, suppress. Um, yeah. But sure. just the, the catharsis of it, the, the play itself is, is 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 a catharsis it's it is a uh you know paroxysm in in, in a very real sense and it is in itself an orgasm yeah it is in itself an orgasm i I think everyone needs an orgasm yes buttgasm like it's mouthgasm buttgasm buttgasm Whatever you want to the call gentleman, it. The gentleman has a buttgasm. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> the gentleman has a butt paroxysm. It wasn't an anal paroxysm. Yeah. 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 A buttgasm's funnier, though. Buttgasm. That would be funnier if we were doing a stage reading of this and, like, my dad was doing the stage directions. <laughs> Leo has a buttgasm. Has a buttgasm. <laughs> um, the the production I know about this, and let me, see, I, I I all I've seen been able to find of it is like a little trailer. But there was a Laura Benanti, Michael Serverus. Yes. Uh, oh, I saw. Ooh. I did see at that. Lincoln Lincoln Center. Oh, I would love to. Oh, he I, does I, lots I, of theater. Serverus is the shit. <laughs> Servers is the shit. Assassins, Sweeney, all the things. He's also in the MCU. He's in in the Ant-Man movie. He's the bad guy. Wait, who? He's Egghead. He's the bald guy. He's in in the Marvel Ant-Man. Yeah. Oh, we've watched so many Marvel movies lately. I can't even. He's the bad guy. He's the bad guy. Is in that full bald? Yeah. Look him up. Michael Servers. Anyway, um, (laughs) this podcast is part of the MCU. So yeah, yeah. I'm actually Stan Lee. Are Hi. you? Yeah. We stand, Stan. <laughs> um, yeah. Lee. There, there, apparently, there's a new book coming out, and you may not want to be Stan Lee right now. Oh no! Oh no! Well, I mean, you know, it just, it just a lot of he did some shady business deals. Stan. So did I. Okay, I was. I used to sell a lot of .7 lead back in first grade. People would be like, "Yo, give me some <laughs> of that lead," and I'd be like, "For your mechanical?" And they'd be like, "Yeah, bro, give me some of that lead." And I'd be like, .7 or .5, motherfucker. And, and then they'd be like .7. I'd be like, "Cool, come out on the fucking playground and fight me for it, or give me a thousand dollars." And then you groped someone against their wishes. What? We talking about pencil? <laughs> we talking about pencil fighting? I was a child. Yeah, well, um, I just well, okay. like, when you say there's bad stuff about Stanley, I immediately thought he's shown his dick to people that don't. No, want it's not that. It's that he actually uh, is the creator of the Matrix, and we're gonna have to deal with that. Okay. Listen. The creator of all of our reality. <laughs> okay. It's a huge problem. Can I have um, more cats? Yes. No. With no poop. No. No yes. extra poop, though. No. Can we breed cats that don't poop? <laughs> um, the, cats half, without assholes. You can have half the they cats. They wouldn't have mouths twice either. the poop. Yeah. No mouths or ass. Huh. What would they show off? They love showing their little anus off. Um, we call them pencil sharpeners. We're cutting all this or tripling it. <laughs> Why? You either have to cut it or triple it. 
Um, okay. I'll just uh, I'll just start doing like little loops. <laughs> pencil sharpener. Can I have twice the cats? Can I have twice cats? Pencil sharpener. Can I have twice cats? Can I have twice cats? Cute little anuses. Somebody, little one anus. of my big <laughs> fans, turn this into a song. I want to take MDMA and dance to it. <laughs> Auto tune us. Yeah. Because, yeah. What? Because the cat became an ape. All right. So I'm, I'm, we're done. Um, let's move on to the part that I love most, which is, uh, Bailey loves ranking shit. I do. I do. Love <laughs> ranking shit. Um, okay. So, uh, who wants to go first? I will. This is my ranking. Well, you didn't even give us a chance. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't ever give us I'm a chance. I'm too fast for you. Too um, fast. I think we might all be similar here. But, I think so, too. I'm willing but, to bet. Let's yeah. Go. But maybe not. I don't know how CJ's going to go. But um, my, my bottom one is Eurydice. It's not... It's I, There are parts of it I love. I love the father stuff. I really love that play. I don't know that I love all of the play. And I need to see a better production. Number two, melancholy play. Love melancholy play. Uh, it's it's close for me because of the production I saw. I think there is a version of this play that really affects people in a great way. I don't know that it would necessarily affect everyone the same. Um, and number one is uh, in the next room, vibrator play. I think it's I think it's really fun. I'd love to see it again. Um, you know, with some legit costumes and I would love and, to see a big budget version, big like, old budget, mm -hmm. like just really all fun. the details of, and it uh, needs a, place. it needs a fine tuning director. Oh like, yeah. It, it needs somebody who's really going to get in there and find those micro, uh, uh, comedic moments and just bring it out. It, it's, it's going to be, it, it we'll make it happen. Um, <laughs> we'll make it happen. Those are my, that's my, that's my ranking. And, uh, you know, if you don't like it, you can uh, suck eat my <laughs> wow or his mouth. Oh, wow, Jesus, or my mouth. <laughs> Scott, my you mouth. go next. Skirt. Why do I have to go next? Because okay. I have a little weird addition with mine. Okay. Uh, yeah. So yeah, Eurydice would be uh, my number three. Yeah. Um, I wrote that I felt like it was a cool little painting that you would buy at like a like an art fair, uh, yeah. but you'd hang it in the hallway and not in the living room. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> like it wouldn't be a main thing. Um, uh, next would be the melancholy play. Um, I f see her taking steps and trying to do things and playing around. Um, but it's, it's all heady. It's, it's all heady. It's a, it's a good play to me, but um, I, like it. I, I, uh, I, it's all head. It didn't hit me. It didn't get to me. It it's didn't get to head. me. <laughs> uh, and then uh, in the next room, the vibrator play is is fucking astonishing, and yeah. I really, really enjoyed it. Was really affected by it, and I I laughed and cried. Fucking great. Yeah. Uh, so basically, you just copied me. It's fine. All right. I did. Uh, I I. But if I'm gonna copy somebody, 
I'm going to copy somebody awesome. Thanks. So take that to the bank. Thanks. Uh, oh, great. So going from there, I have a special mention for Dear Elizabeth. Um, it just oh. happened that we had an Did audio. Did you listen to the L.A. theater works of it? Yeah. And it had uh, Julian Sands, huge fan of C.J. Merriman, playing Lysander in Midsummer Night's Dream 12 years ago. Um, but it was it was delightful. I mean, it was it like I feel like it is a English person's uh, poets theater person play because it's about two poets that I knew nothing about. But like it's yeah. just their exchange. It was it was just a lovely little play. Um, uh, uh, three for me is melancholy play. Mm-hmm. Um, I it just took me a little while to get into it, and mm-hmm. I think if I reread it might be different. Two is yeah. Eurydice, and one is the next room for me. In the next room is kind of it's it's kind of undeniably the best of the ones that we read. I don't Foch. know. I don't. I want to now. I kind of want to read a few of her others. Do some rereads. I don't remember the clean house that well. Um, um, I saw images from the Goodman. The Goodman did a production yeah. of it, which she loved. Like, yeah. I guess they did some cool stuff that she, she really changed her view of her own play, which I, sure. I, I always find intriguing. That's cool. That's I cool. always think it's badass too when a playwright's like. Wow, they did something really cool and surprised me. Like, yeah. So yeah, I would love to read that. That's probably the next one on my list. Amazing. Um, okay, does anybody have any? Dream rolls. I do, in fact. Yeah. Um, Star I w- Siege. I would play. I love Tilly in Melancholy Play. It's a good part. Uh, she yeah, was funny. You know, someone that just everyone wants to fuck her. I mean, come on. Um, yeah, and and, it's a fun part. You're in every scene. You're walking through just about every scene. It's a yeah. fun part. It looks cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also loved Loudstone and Eurydice because <laughs> I'm loud. Be I can do it. That'd and then um, in the next room, I would literally play any character that you wanted to cast me as. I yeah. loved each. I mean, to be quite honest, Leo was my like his fucking opening scene and the monologues and shit. Yeah. God damn, is it funny stuff? Leo I Irving is 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 my dream role. It's such a good part. I love that role. I think it's super fun. Um, you know, Doctor Givings, um, is you know interesting, and there's They're some, all. There's, yeah, but honestly, that's the one that stuck out most to me. Um, is I don't Leo? Play Orpheus. Yeah, is Leo? I don't. I don't love Orpheus. Um, maybe I'd play her father someday. Hmm. Maybe. Yeah, I think the father role would be fun to play. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know that I'm fully right for. I mean, it would depend on who you cast as Eurydice. I think you'd really need to find a good chemistry there because that's Absolutely. that's really the oh, nugget, yeah, the yeah, golden yeah. nugget of that play. Absolutely. Um, besides that, melancholy play, I'd like to direct. Um, mm. I, I don't I don't think I'd I'd be in it, but it's it's um it's got some some really fun things to play with there. Uh Scott, what you got? Um yeah, I would love to do uh the uh uh nasty interesting man. Um <laughs> yeah. uh, I yeah. would Jeez. I would I would love to do that. I would think that would be a blast. Sure. Um I would love to do uh the dad maybe one day. Um and then Doctor, yeah, Doctor Givings is kind of um, awesome. <laughs> I, I don't yes. think I'm right for it, but it would just it'd I'd be just, fun. It would just yeah. be a fun play be to do because you get to have such an amazing turn, mm-hmm. having such a, a cool turn. But also, I kind of want to play Mrs. Giving <laughs> too. Like I really like got into that character. I really identified with her for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, well, not for whatever reason. She she's lost and she's trying to find her place and 
she's also she's so curious and she's so you know and and she even i think even sort of self-prescribed like extremely curious person right and exhaustibly curious or she calls herself i don't remember the exact word but yeah absolutely 100 percent. that'd be super fun um and then i think i would i would want to direct eurydice uh it, I would there, not. There's something that like thinking <laughs> about it, but I would like to. I would like to. It maybe do it, it I, if I if me. I ever got to the Greeks. Go ahead. Sarah Kane, four point four eight psychosis and 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 um you know the, uh what it was cleaner cleanse sorry cleanse yeah, yeah. by yeah. Sarah Kane those scare me to direct because they feel daunting to direct eurydice scares me to direct because it feels like something i don't know that i grasp enough and it, i feel like i would be like uh pulling at straws like uh, and i guess this is what we're gonna do with this thing Absolutely. i don't know same That's it's also one of those thing. things it's there's a million versions of it so it's like what are you gonna do with it right it's like playing puck in midsummer night's dream what are you gonna are you yeah gonna, i don't know that i want that or something whatever you know yeah, I don't think I want that weight on my shoulders. Um, <laughs> um, okay, so uh, what about, do you guys have any? LA Spotlight. Spotlights from Los Angeles? Not right now. There are some things cooking up. Uh, of course, they announced this week or last week that um, Fringe, the Hollywood Fringe Festival, will be back in August in right. some capacity. Um, there will definitely be streaming. And I know like uh, the Broadwater and Sacred Fools have like re-upped uh, their spaces to be used for streaming purposes, um, which Does is exciting. Does that mean we get to do three guys? Um, it could potentially. You know? the, the big hope is that there's going to be able to be some audiences by August knock wood we might might sure. have enough injections and where we can do it yeah just um, put I some know, needles in my arm mm-hmm. yeah i mean i know you guys have a pending project and i think everything's i i know that uh in most of those circles things are, and i've got another pending about. project yeah um i'm just on staffing and casting this week so oh yeah that's good yes that's gonna be exciting I'm, I yeah know, i know i know of what you speak yeah the then we did have a little uh note uh from our yeah. last series on on august wilson uh rafael clements was our amazing guest on that uh he's he was at yale while piano lesson and fences and things were happening just an extraordinary thing uh he had just written an email some some afterthoughts and i thought we could read and share them real quick yeah um and he wrote uh wilson wrote about blue collar regular people living unexceptional lives for the most part uh for the most part poor working class african americans from the south he didn't write about kings and queens millionaires and billionaires people who were famous or accomplished in their fields the closest he may have gotten is writing about ma rainey but she wasn't rich by any means and unknown outside uh of the circle of black people who'd seen her perform in juke joints and wherever she toured throughout the the chitlin circuit uh wilson's plays were egalitarian in spirit although middle and upper class african americans can understand wilson's plays and deeply identify with them because of legacy and family history you don't see middle and upper class black folks in his plays until his last play radio golf uh the play that takes place in the in the 1990s the play with upper middle class african-americans who are the most disconnected from their history and their past 
So I just wanted to share that. Uh, yeah. Thanks, Raphael. It's incredible. Thanks, Raphael. Yeah, we, you know, especially uh, to close out Black History Month, right? This will be our, uh, right. will we, well, are we still in that when this drops? I think it's the week after, isn't it? It's yeah, right this will be the first week. But that's okay because we're, yeah. We celebrate Black History always because it is our history, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's here, American here, history, here, here. and yes, we that isn't just delegated to one month. Um, but just so you know, uh, like obviously we we have so many things we want to talk about every single miniseries. We don't always get to all of it, so I appreciate him sending that in to to make sure he got a little bit more said because we could have honestly done another fucking hour on Wilson and yep. not Easily. even touched Easily. the surface. Easily. Like Easily. we had so much to say, and he has context out the fucking wazoo and he's a badass and we love him um but yeah fucking incredible miniseries go back and listen to it if you haven't um and we have plenty more black and other people of playwrights of color coming up in this uh season we're super pumped about but for now thank you for joining us for our miniseries <laughs> dead man's podcast dead man uh, by podcast. sarah rule everybody should go read dead man's cell phone by the way i love that there's some great monologues in there if you i hear it's fantastic yeah. that and clean house are my next two that i'm gonna read it's fantastic highly recommended but next week we will begin our next mini series which is a bonus <laughs> series we're not doing a in stuff next week we're actually doing a full other bonus miniseries, as you might remember from season one. Every five miniseries, we're going to do a bonus miniseries. So we have the bonus theater and stuff between each miniseries, but then we also have this bonus <laughs> miniseries. We're Basically, doing a lot of bonuses. we're doing more bonuses, yeah. We are, but that's okay. This is a, a miniseries. Uh, which we will have our friend and songwriter Pam Quinn for as a guest. Oh, Very excited. She was on our uh, movie musicals uh, miniseries. Now, to bring it back, this is time for another movie musical moment as we discuss movie musicals that were made for the screen before the stage. So we've each chosen one movie for us all to watch. And so that you can watch the movies before you listen, I'm going to tell you what they are right yes. now. Yes. So if you listen this deep, you're the you're the special few. Here we go. Scott's choice was what was it? Tommy. The Who's Tommy, one of my favorite films of all time. I cannot wait to talk about I'm gonna it. I'm going to jerk off all over that one. So good. the whole episode. That's all we're going to be doing is touching ourselves with electric vibrators. Um. Pam chose another incredible film that's worth talking about, which is High School Musical. Yes, it was a made-for-TV movie, but it spawned Never a sequel, it. and it spawned a third movie that was in theaters. So we're going to talk about the first one. It's a fantastic one, and I happen to be in the first ever professional stage production of it. So Woot. get ready for that. Uh, then... My choice is something that I can't wait to uh, expel my, uh, my feelings... All over the place. I, I I can't wait to do this one, but I'm, I'm not going to say anything else about it. I chose The Greatest Showman. Very topical. People love it right now. I don't know why. Came out a few years ago. <laughs> People still talking about it. And um, CJ, why don't you tell us what you chose? Because this might be the most exciting. Um, Hang on to your fucking hats because we're doing South Park's Bigger, Longer, and Uncut, baby. That's right, baby. Because you know what? It's a musical. And yeah, the writers... <laughs> 
It was also wrote for shit. It was. And the writers <laughs> also wrote Book of Mormon. So it'll give us a chance to talk about that a little bit. Uh, we love it so much. It's guaranteed to be an insane miniseries. So look out for it. Listen, we know you're all screaming at home that you have suggestions, you have questions to ask, you have things you need to say. So email us, find us on Instagram or Facebook us, send us a message, and we'll include your shit in the next miniseries. Uh, yes. Yeah. Are, are you done? Because I got he's something done. to say. I got something to say about say Pamela Quinn, yeah. who wrote our special miniseries song about Sarah Rule. Yeah. It's good. You're about to hear it. You're about to listen to it. Plus, yeah. she's going to join us on the next episode. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be crazy. Can't wait. Can't wait. Um, also, big shout out to Ryan Thomas Johnson, who CJ hates. But no, Ryan, I love I you. No, no, it's okay. Um, and <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. Ryan, <laughs> Ryan Thomas Johnson for our amazing theme song. And finally, to the great, brilliant Annie Baker. Uh, yes, she's won the Pulitzer Prize. And also, she's the writer of our fucking show. Yes. Come on the Pulitzer for the show. Come have a beer with us. <laughs> Annie Baker. <laughs> Annie Baker. Yes, please go rate, subscribe, and review. We appreciate all those things. Follow us on all the junk. As always, you are a deuterostome. Mouths and butts are the same thing. Mouths and butts are the same thing. We'll see you next week. I'm sailing away. Is okay, there a Sticks musical yet? Set an no. open well, course. I, I think be. Mr. Roboto was, They were going to try and do Mr. Roboto. And of course, what's his name? Is in Jesus Christ Superstar. Got to be free. Free Good. to face the light. <laughs> Listen to the sounds they make. Listen to the way he makes her aches heal. Listen to the lightest quake. He can take the bad and make it less real. So here's the deal. I've got a. Year